This morning, we're concluding our series called Hunt the Good Stuff. It's been a series about gratitude and about how living a life of gratitude can change the very way we see and know God and the ways in which we see and know others. And it seems appropriate for us to finish this series on gratitude with today being All Saints Day, a day in which we give thanks to God for all of the witnesses that have lived out their life in our midst during this last year. It's a way for us to be reminded as a church that our community is eternal, it is not temporary. That we are not a religious club, that people exit when they die. But that, that we are a part of a community of saints for thousands of years. And that, as the book of Hebrews tells us, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and so it's appropriate, at least for one Sunday, we pause, we stop, and we give thanks. And that we give thanks for the rich witness lived out in our midst. But there's a question I have for us, especially as we remember those who have lived and died in the Lord. Why is it that the best things we have to say about others happen only when they're departed from us? How could we possibly find a way of saying the best things while they're standing right in front of us? And how could we change our perspective on gratitude to not just be gratitude for those who have lived and died, but perhaps for the person sitting right next to you, alive at this very moment? One of the great dangers to our ability to do this, to practice this life of gratitude with the people we're around every day, is cynicism. Cynicism on the inside and the out. This is a familiar story in Luke's gospel. For those of you who have been Christians for some time, you know the story of Zacchaeus. If you came to church as a child, you probably learned a song about this man. I did not attend church as a child. I converted to Christianity at 13 years old, so this song is foreign to me, although I know it. What I would suggest to us is that um, there's a very adult narrative running through the story. And what I mean by that is that there is a deep and profound lesson for us to hear in this story of Zacchaeus that goes beyond a wee little man in a tree. Cynicism is ripe in this story in Luke chapter 19. So when we talk about cynicism, let's define it. In recent research done by Dr. Kathleen Vos, we're learning more about cynicism and its function in our lives and the story, and here's how she defines it. Cynicism is the belief that people will exploit one another and use and abuse one another because, in essence, at their core, people are, we say, morally bankrupt. Meaning, people are just essentially looking out for themselves. It's this underlying idea about human nature, and for a person who is a hardcore cynic, Human nature is selfish. It's all over this story in Luke 19. You see, in the world that Zacchaeus and the inhabitants of Jericho, cynicism is everywhere. Now, for the people of Jericho, as they look at Zacchaeus as an individual, 
what they see is a tax collector, an extortionist, an enabler, and a traitor. His wealth that he has gained by forcefully taking from people in the name of collecting taxes has rendered him immune to seeing any of the damage that he's caused to people. As the people of Jericho look at Zacchaeus, what they understand is this. Nothing will change. He is who he is. Now, for Zacchaeus, as he looks at the people of Jericho, he sees people that are exclusionary, discriminatory, marginalizing, and deceptive. Their disdain for Roman rule bleeds over to him. They are destined to forever hate him. And in Zacchaeus' mind, nothing will change. They are who they are. You know, All Saints Day is quite a shift for us. It's a moment in which we give thanks for the lives lived out in our midst. We say the best things about people, usually when they're not in front of us, and even not in this life anymore. When I first started out as a, a, a senior pastor, I, I did one of my very first funerals at a funeral home in Ventura. They called me up because the family had no pastor to officiate at their mother's service. And so I met with a family, and we talked about their mother, and I learned about her life. I took all the copious notes, as a good, young, studious pastor would do. I prepared my homily. It was epic. <laughs> I showed up at the funeral home for the funeral. I stood up. I conducted the service. I did my homily, paying tribute to this mother who had such a deep impact on her entire family. And after the homily was over, there was what I now know is the dreaded open mic. So people came up to speak one after another, and sure enough, this mother had one son who was estranged from her, had heard that his mother had died, and came to the funeral. And I'm sitting to the side here, and he comes up to the little pulpit in the chapel at the funeral home, and he said, I'm so thankful all of you said such beautiful things about my mother. And then he looked right at me and he said, but pastor, you and everyone else are completely wrong. And what is still to this day one of the most painful and awkward episodes I've ever been in my life, he unpacked all of his pain about his relationship with his mother right there. It was, it was so difficult, so painful. You know, I was so young... I was completely caught up in myself, right? I, I couldn't get out of my own way at that moment because I was like, he just said I was wrong. <laughs> uh, not just young and oblivious to the trauma that was happening in the room with his siblings, with his family members. So he sat down after a couple minutes, luckily, and then we had to go on with the service. And all I could tell the family at that point as we closed is, let nothing ever be unsaid. Tell those you love the truth. Best I could do at the ripe old age of 31 years old. That's all I knew how to do. Cynicism is ripe in this story, and it's ripe in so many different places in our world today. 
People believe that politics cannot change. People can believe that culture will not change. We dispute about all of them. We have theological fights with one another all the time. And they leave us adrift in this space. Could we be hobbled by cynicism ourselves? Jesus shows us a moment, though, when this cynicism gets disrupted all of a sudden. I mean, what is Jesus? Is he just some wide-eyed optimist? Is he a glass-half-full kind of guy? Now, there's something else going on in the story, and let's take a deeper look at it. Jesus sees beyond our vision as he comes into the city of Jericho. In verse 5 of this story, Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus, who's climbed up into a tree. Now, Zacchaeus is at a margin. Jesus doesn't move him out of the margin. Jesus simply invites him out of the margin. He has to take the action to do something about it. Jesus sees Zacchaeus as he is and as he can be. So do you dispose that Jesus would disagree with the definition of cynicism by Dr. Vos? Remember what she said. It is the underlying idea about human nature. And for a person who's a hardcore cynic, the human nature is selfish. Are we not all sinners? Are we not all people who have done harm? Are we not all people who exclude? Are we not all people who judge? We indeed are. So as we read this definition of cynicism, there's part of it that we can't look at it and say, oh, that's not me all of us. We all stand in that space of occupying that sinfulness, as I would describe it theologically, of being overly cynical. But what happens in the story is profound, that Jesus sees Zacchaeus in a tree, and there's something of a deep longing that Zacchaeus is signaling. Like climbing up in a tree, Zacchaeus is sending a clear message to Jesus that something in his life has changed. Jesus can see his longing. Jesus can see that Zacchaeus is beginning to defy his own cynicism. He's transcending it because of Jesus coming into that city. We see a very mean crowd that won't let a short man get to the front to see a parade. We also see a greedy and corrupt tax collector. So does Jesus. But Jesus also sees what they can all become. He confronts Zacchaeus' cynicism about himself and the people of the Jericho and people of Jericho. So we have to begin to see it the way Jesus does. What does Jesus say in Luke 19, verse 9? We heard read a moment ago. Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Here's where gratitude comes into the story. And it begins to make some sense to us. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus is an unlikely form of gratitude because he responds to the cynicism of the crowd by turning the tables on them. He doesn't return, just return to his house for the evening with Jesus. Jesus sees him in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, you come down, I'm going to dinner at your house. So the story doesn't tell us that Zacchaeus came out of the tree and they left and went to his house and that's the end of the story. No, when he comes down out of the tree, something happened. What he does is he tells Jesus, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. Half. 50%. I double-dog dare any of us to do that. 
50% to the poor. And his behavior sits in contrast to another story in Luke's gospel of the rich young ruler who asked Jesus, what must I do to receive eternal life earlier in this gospel? And after they go back and forth for a while, Jesus looks at him and says, there's one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and come and follow me. And it says that the man went away because he had many possessions. Zacchaeus does the opposite. He tells Jesus, I'm going to give 50% of everything I have away to the poor, and I'm going to pay everybody back that I've defrauded 400%, fourfold. Now, the normal restitution in the time of Jesus was 20%. So you would repay the amount that you had defrauded plus 20%. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay everyone back I've defrauded, plus 400%. That's unheard of. Zacchaeus, by the time he's done with this whole transaction, he's going to be in the poorhouse. But what I want you to notice is this, is that his actions of repentance are not directed toward Jesus, are they? Who are they directed to? The people of Jericho. That's where his act of repentance is focused His act of repentance are not directed to Jesus. They're directed toward those who are most cynical about him, the people of Jericho. When Jesus enters into this scene of cynicism and marginalization by everyone, the unexpected happens. And this is what we celebrate in the story. How Zacchaeus is saved and how it manifests itself. Gratitude. Generosity. These are things that no one had ever heard of or even believed when Jesus entered that city. You see, there's a link between gratitude and generosity. When people behave with gratitude towards others, it expresses itself in generosity. And my friends, I would suggest to you that the generosity of our lives is the greatest barometer of our gratitude. That if we are greedy, cynical, hoarding our own things, then our hearts are filled with little gratitude whatsoever. But if gratitude exists in our hearts, if we believe truly that there is a God who has saved us and is saving the world, and we pour out our thanksgiving to that God, we will do just like Zacchaeus. We'll start giving away money as fast as we can. There is a link between the two. Gratitude and generosity go together. One causes the other. And it's all over this story. It says in the story that when Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus, he says he comes down out of the tree with joy. And out of that joy, he then says, I'm going to give 50% of my money away to the poor, and I'm going to pay everyone back 400% what I've defrauded them. This is his act of repentance. So let's be clear. In a biblical framework, repentance is not remorse or regret. It is not you feeling bad about it. Repentance is a behavior, and the way we see the behavior is what Zacchaeus does. He gives away half his money to the poor and pays everyone back fourfold. Here are some questions that maybe you could think about this week in your gratitude journal. I put them in the sermon outline in your bulletin. What persons or situations do you believe cannot or will not change? That's one question to reflect on this week. Another one is how are gratitude and repentance linked in your own life? How are gratitude and repentance linked in your own life? And what is one situation this week 
where you will attack cynicism with generosity. Generosity is your weapon. Where will you use it? Each of the lives we celebrated today have left a mark on us. We name them, we remember them, and we could do all that as we've done today and just go home. Friends, that's the cynical way. Perhaps we might give thanks to a God who worked in each and every one of their lives in remarkable ways and how the world was altered by God through each one of these people. I pray that the moments we see the best in people as Jesus does will not only be in our remembrance of them. May we look at this world as Jesus does. Remember, the last verse of this passage is one of the most important verses for every single one of us to know in the Bible. I pray that every one of us would commit it to memory. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus is lost. The people of Jericho are lost. And Jesus is able to reach them because he sees something in them that they still can't see in themselves. Thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God. As we come to the time of our worship when we normally have communion, we're going to do something that we did last year. That, you know, we celebrate communion every week, and it's an opportunity for all of us to experience that on a regular basis. But there's another sacrament in the life of our church called baptism that we rarely get to engage with other than just watching somebody else's baptism. So we have a, a way in which we can pause for a moment and remember our baptism, our own baptism. I remember my baptism when I was 13 years old. And so it's important to pause and have moments to give thanks for our baptism. That's why we invited each person who came forward to pour water into our baptismal font. And in this font, we have shells that are in it. And this morning, we're going to invite you to come forward, and Pastor Camille and I are going to place a shell in your hands, and we're going to look at you right in the eye, and we're going to say, remember your baptism, and be thankful. Be thankful that God saw in us what we could not see in ourselves. And may we leave this moment not just with a wet shell, but with thanksgiving for how God saw something in us that we could not see, that we could become children of God and go into this world, walking out those very doors, seeing every human being the same way. On my way into church this morning, about 5.30 in the morning, I made a left turn on 85th under Aurora, I had to slam on my brakes this morning because there was a young man who had stolen a package of beer from a convenience store. And the proprietor was chasing after him in the middle of the street. And I almost ran them over. I paused for a minute in kind of the trauma of that moment. And I, for whatever reason, prayed. I prayed for the guy that stole the beer and I prayed for the guy chasing him, who, by the way, didn't catch him. And just got me reflecting even this day how even those two people that ran in front of my car that I almost ran over, how God sees them the same way he saw Zacchaeus 
the same way he sees us, in the same way he sees every human being in this world, a recipient of divine love and prevenient grace at work in their lives. So I invite you to come this morning, just like you would for communion, receive one of these shells, remember your baptism and be thankful. And remember that God loves everyone else just as much as he loves you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John, anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. So we pray this day, O God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon all of us gathered here and on this gift of water so it might call to remembrance the grace declared upon all of us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives that dying and rising with Christ we might share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever, as we pray the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you.